Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Thank you. Welcome to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. I cover current hot topics and recent research in the world of the young athlete relevant to healthcare professionals. This is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Mindfulness. We hear this word a lot these days. The Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of mindfulness is the practice of maintaining a non-judgmental state of heightened or complete awareness of one's thoughts, emotions, or experiences on a moment-to-moment basis. If your hospital system or workplace is like mine, you've probably heard of practicing mindfulness and even some modules at work you may have had to complete. But how is mindfulness relevant to our young athletes? And is there a benefit to their overall health and even their sports performance? We'll talk mindfulness today on the podcast. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and this is the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Our guest today is a repeat, Dr. Joel Brenner. He's here for a second stint on the podcast. Dr. Brenner is the medical director of the Children's Hospital of the King's Daughter Sports Medicine Program and the director of CHKD's Sports Concussion, Dance Medicine, and Running Medicine Programs. His most recent interest has been in the development of a program on mindfulness for the young athlete, which is what we're going to be obviously talking about today. He is currently a professor of pediatrics at Eastern Virginia Medical School. He is the past chairperson for the AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on Sports Medicine and Fitness, and a past member of the board of directors of the American Medical Society of Sports Medicine. He is currently on the Virginia High School League Sports Medicine Advisory Committee. He is the team physician for local high schools, governor's school for the performing arts, and two professional dance companies. Welcome back to the podcast, Joel. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. I guess this means I got a passing grade on the first podcast. You did. You did. I don't know if you saw. Well, actually, you probably didn't see because I know you're not on social media, but that episode was actually in our top 10 of 2022. So it's a very well-received podcast episode. A little different. Obviously, we're doing this remotely now. I'm not doing it at your house, which was, uh, I think, the first true like actual remote one I've done. So that was kind of fun. And obviously, it was good to see you in Virginia a few months ago. I'm just going to let you start off by telling our listeners how you define mindfulness and what really got you interested in this topic. Sure. The way I like to define mindfulness is I use kind of John Kabat-Zinn's definition of paying attention on purpose to the present moment and non-judgmentally, but also with some curiosity. And I think one of the keys to remember, too, is that mindfulness is not the same as meditation. And some people get that confused. Meditation is one form of mindfulness, just like running is one form of physical activity or exercise. So that's how I like to define it to to people. And in terms of how I got interested in it, it actually goes back throughout my career as busy healthcare professionals with training and even outside of medicine, we're always searching for that work-life balance especially after residency, when you and I were there, there were no work hour limits and there really wasn't any balance at all. And one of the things that I've found over the years, there's never truly a a balance. Work is part of life. And so there's going to be ups and downs and you just need to find what's right for you. From a a personal standpoint, kind of goes back to about 10 years or so ago. My wife, who's a general pediatrician, took an integrative medicine fellowship out of University of Arizona. And she brought a lot of different integrative skills into our household, both from a, a nutritional standpoint and, and a mental health standpoint and mindfulness. And then about seven years ago, we, we went on a wellness vacation 
out in Arizona. And that was the very first time I took a formal meditation class. And pretty much ever since then, every morning, I start my morning with just a very brief, usually about 10 minutes of some type of meditation, oftentimes using an app. And in addition, through the past seven years, you know, we'll do other forms of mindfulness. Uh, at the end of the day, many times my wife and I will be talking about a couple of good things that have happened throughout that day to really note the, the good things. Over the past year, I've gotten a little bit more into some, some journaling as a technique. And then I've tried to incorporate some of these skills into the workday, you know, and we could talk about that a little bit more later. But as we're going through our workday, it's, it's very easy to get lost in other things. Even when you're with a patient, you might not be as mindful as you should be, too. So I've tried to incorporate that. And then, as you know, over the past three years or so, I've had a couple different sports injuries. And I think the, the mindfulness skills that I've learned personally have helped me through those injuries and helped me with returning to running, some mindful running too. So that's kind of my personal adventure. But from a professional standpoint, in my adolescent medicine training and experience, we treat a lot of behavioral health issues, and I've incorporated those skills into my sports medicine practice. And as you know, as a sports medicine expert, dealing with kids with concussions, with specializations, with overuse and burnout, a lot of times we have to talk about mental health um, mm -hmm. and, and ways to treat it. So I've always had some informal discussions with on, on those topics with my sports patients. And then over the past few years, have taken some different courses out of University of Massachusetts, Stanford, Berkeley, and more recently out of Australia. I've read just a, a lot of books, podcasts, apps, have had some great discussions with different colleagues. One of our good friends, Andrew Watson, out of Madison, we've had some great discussions about mindfulness um, that both personally and professionally too. So that's kind of been my professional and personal journey in mindfulness, and it continues to grow um, every day. Yeah, and you you know you started a clinic now for mindfulness for the young athlete based on all of this, and I'd like you just you know obviously since a lot of our listeners are sports medicine physicians, just talking about explaining that process of what made you think of creating this specific clinic for this and, and kind of walking through how, how do you go about getting referrals to this clinic? What exactly happens during a mindfulness visit for your patients? Sure. It was, you know, now almost three years ago when COVID hit, that really is what kind of pushed me forward in this mindfulness journey. You know, we, we were seeing more mental health issues really spike in, in young athletes and in healthcare professionals. So at that time, when COVID hit March of 20, I started offering some mindfulness breaks for all staff in our health system, started doing some, some virtual sessions for different travel clubs, because as you know, school sports stopped in most places around the country, but travel sports pretty much went on. And then, as we know, also from some research out of Madison from our colleagues, Dr. Watson and, and Dr. Brooks, who've looked at the mental health of young athletes, both pre-COVID and post-COVID, the rates of anxiety and depression really skyrocketed when sports ended during that brief time during COVID. But even when sports went back into play, there was still a high rate of anxiety and depression. So at that point, decided to really formalize things and offer a safe space 
within my sports medicine practice for young athletes to learn some of these mindfulness skills, really how it works. Initially, I was getting a, a lot of referrals from our mental health providers. We recently just opened up a huge 14-story building with half of it being inpatient and outpatient mental health just for kids. So I, I would get referrals from mental health providers for kids with anxiety, with depression, with OCD. Half of them were athletes, others weren't. But in my opinion, we always want kids to be physically active. So I think everyone truly is an athlete. And as things have grown over the past three years, a lot of referrals are coming from our physical therapists and from pediatricians, other healthcare providers, and a lot of self-referrals too from families who have heard from people who've seen it on our website. I started it uh, doing it through telemedicine because it was during COVID. And with the nature of mindfulness coaching, it really works out well with that. So I've continued to do telemedicine and it's nice because they can do it in the comfort of their home, but they can also do it in school. I've done it where kids are in school they find a quiet place, and so they don't necessarily have to miss school for it. The other nice thing is, for me as a physician, they're coming to me as an office visit. So it's covered by their insurance, just as if they came to see me for an ankle sprain or for a back injury. The first visit is usually about 45 minutes or so, um, and then the we'll do a few follow-up visits um, if they want, and those are a little bit shorter, 20 to 30 minutes. And the way the visits run, you know, initially it's getting to know uh, the athlete, what their goals are, what they know about mindfulness. We talk about what mindfulness is, how it can be helpful, how normal it is. Also how it's really just an additional tool for us to use in life. I'm very explicit that I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I don't replace any medications. I don't replace talk therapy, but it's it's another tool. And, and we'll look at, again, what, what their issues are, what they want to accomplish. And then we'll talk about some things through that. We'll learn a couple easy, basic, mindful tools the first time. And then if they're interested, um, you know, we'll have those follow-up visits. And I've been very surprised at um, how many young athletes, and I've, I've seen from usually around 10 or 11 is the youngest I've been working with so far up through college. And I've had a few adults more with uh, staff, but even the, the younger kids, how, how much they really love it. You know, when they're first coming on, they might be a little apprehensive because they're not really sure what it is. But after that first visit, I always ask them if they're interested in doing more. And I would say 95% are just excited to, to learn more, to, to practice it. Uh, the parents are really grateful because this is another tool for them to use. Uh, the first visit, I would say half the time that the parent sits in on the visit, if the athlete is comfortable with that. And so the parent can learn the skills and then they can practice these together. That's cool. You know, obviously from a logistical standpoint, since it is kind of more of a counseling sort of thing, how do you bill for it? Because <laughs> I think that's probably an interesting part of that too. So the good thing is with the new changes that took place a couple of years ago, it's just based on time. So again, it's an office visit with a physician based on time. 
And, what do you do for uh, coding though? For like, what do you code it as a diagnosis? Do you use it as like a depression or anxiety thing for certain individuals or is it, what do you do? Well, it, it depends. It depends what problems they have. Probably one of the most common problems and that we work on as part of our mindful coaching is sleep problems. We, we mm. know a lot of athletes, a lot of adolescents in general, a lot of adults have sleep issues. And if we don't take care of their sleep problems first, we're not going to be able to take care of their anxiety, their depression, the stress with sports, their performance. There might be a, a sleep issue that we can code. There, there's anxiety, there's depression, and a variety of other things. It depends on what comes up. But usually there's some medical diagnosis that's also there. Gotcha. I know there has been some research in this area, particularly related to athletes. I don't know if you, how familiar you are with all that research. I you say you obviously you've been reading a lot. I'm, I'm sure you're very well read in this area, Joel, but can you tell us a little bit about some of the research that's been found in athletes regarding mindfulness? I think that there, there's still a huge vacancy uh, and need for more research, especially in young athletes. There's not as much, but you know, I, I think from athlete standpoint, one, even before we get to the research, we know it's being used by a lot of professional athletes, whether it's Le LeBron or Michael Jordan, Simone Biles. I work closely with a retired major league baseball player who lives in this area, who used mindfulness all throughout his career. And, and so we do a lot of sessions together. There was a study that was done out of the NIH that looked at healthcare providers using mindfulness, and that showed that that helped with stress and healthcare providers. There was another meta-analysis that they looked at mindfulness and burnout. And in, in that meta-analysis, it showed that there was a suggestion that it could help with burnout. But there was, there's also a, a, a big publication out just about the needs of the research agenda for mindfulness. And I think hopefully we'll see it as more and more people are talking about mindfulness and doing it that will get more structured research and evidence. I can just tell you from doing it formally over the past three years, I've seen improvement with it. I've worked with a variety of athletes, uh, golfers, baseball players, soccer players, people who've come back from ACLs and even talked to them after the fact. It seems to help. Now, it, it's not the panacea. It's not going to cure everything. But really, there's no adverse effects to doing mindfulness. Yeah. Lots of benefit. Yeah, I'm I'm sure there's probably no no side effects associated with mindfulness. That would be a really uh, interesting thing to say that there was, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think the only time where I caution people in terms of that when you could have an adverse effect is if if you're trying to do one of the meditation exercises, closing your eyes while you're driving. I don't recommend that. Yeah, obviously not. Yes, thank you. Appreciate that disclaimer, there, Joel. <laughs> You know, we talk about using mindfulness to help performance or what have you, or just in general, but what benefits have been shown for athletes, those that do practice mindfulness? Right. You know, one thing, as we know, athletes are human beings first and foremost. So it can be helpful for performance, but even more importantly, it can be helpful relieving stress, anxiety, depression with focus which is so important in athletics. And also, as I said before, with sleep, we can use mindfulness to help with sleep. And there's some very easy techniques that can help with that. And then also, we see it help with pain. So with chronic pain or acute pain, that can be helpful. We put together a mindfulness coaching website. And on there, we have a video testimony 
of one of my athletes who's now graduated from high school. He's in college. He went through the program after he was midway through his ACL rehabilitation. And he, there's a video testimony from him. And I think it's really impactful. And your listeners can take a look at it. I refer my patients to look at that because I think caring from someone, a young athlete who's gone through it is really helpful. Yeah, we'll be sure to have a link to that in our show notes. So make sure you check that out if you want to see that testimony of video. Well, I think it'd be uh, maybe a little helpful just kind of from a practical standpoint of talking to us a little bit about how would someone practice mindfulness? Maybe, you know, talking us through a technique as an example that you like. Sure. I talk to my patients about I'm going to, with them, create a mindfulness toolbox. And in this toolbox, I'm going to try to give them a a bunch of different tools and some of them they're going to like more than others. And there's some simple ones that I start with uh, that are really just kind of breath exercises. And the good thing about these breath exercises is is you can do them anywhere. So we talk about practicing them in a quiet place, maybe the same time of day for three, five, 10 minutes, uh, however much time you've got. But that's really to get better at the technique. But then when you're stressed somewhere else, whether it's at work, whether you're in line at a grocery store and someone's trying to use cash and it's taking forever, you can do some of these techniques. You don't have to be sitting down. You don't have to have your eyes closed. You don't have to do it for five minutes. It can just be a couple of breath cycles. And I think the other important point is we practice every day, just like as a athlete, you go to practice to get better at the game and to, to get better with your skills. So we, we practice not to get better at breathing, if that's what we're doing with these exercises, but to get better at life so we can really enjoy life, so we can decrease our, our stress with that. One of the breath exercises I, I like to start with is just counting exhales. It's fairly easy, so I can talk you through that if you want. Yeah. Um, as, as an example. So with that, you know, you just want to be in a comfortable position. You can be sitting in your office chair, ideally with your feet flat on the floor, with your back upright. And then uh, you can also be sitting on the floor on a cushion if you want, however you're comfortable, hopefully in, in a quieter place uh, to start with. And then you can close your eyes if you're comfortable, or you can just soften your gaze, uh, looking down at your feet. And then initially, you just want to just breathe in and breathe out just at at a normal pace, not trying to change anything, just trying to, again, keep that back upright. And you can just pretend a string is pulling up on your head, just lengthening your spine, putting space between the vertebrae, trying to make sure your shoulders are relaxed. A lot of times we bring them up to our ears and just drop them down your back. And then with this first exercise, Again, it's called the counting exhale. So we breathe in, we breathe out, we say to ourselves one, we breathe in, out, we say to ourselves two, and then we work all the way up to five. And then once we get to five, we can start over again. And as we go through this exercise, you'll notice at some point, maybe after the first or second breath, your, your mind is going to wander. That's completely normal. The key is not to get upset or angry for for your mind wandering. Actually, by noticing that your mind wandered, you've been mindful right there. 
So just let that thought just kind of float away and just come back to counting your exhales and just continue again. And after you do this for a minute or two, then you can come back and open up your eyes, get in touch with your surroundings again and go from there. Yeah. So that's one of the exercises. I don't know what you thought about that, Mark. It's good. I mean, I, you know, again, the, the sitting up always is a good thing there too. So I, I like the example of the, the pulling on your, your head a little bit there. Cause that kind of encourages that a little bit, the drop in your shoulders. I mean, I felt relaxed <laughs> certainly. And you mentioned the, the distracting, fortunately, at least I can admit I was not distracted. I, I sort of listened to your voice, but <laughs> in the big picture of things, that that part I at least got through the first set without wandering. So <laughs> and, and that's trying and to host was, the podcast at the same time, and also thinking in my mind, oh gosh, I hope that people aren't closing their eyes while they're driving listening to this podcast. <laughs> right. And, and I would say is you know, like I said, I, I've been doing this for personally for seven years, and my mind still wanders every day, uh, sure. and that's normal. And people who've done it. Uh, for 40 years, it, it still wanders, but but that's normal. That's how our mind is. A couple other breath exercises you can do is a, a box breathing. Um, so one way that is good to incorporate it into your work day too, and the way I do it, because um, as, as we're at work, you know, in between patients, you might be checking email and other projects you're doing. You might be preparing for your next podcast. But when you're in with that patient, you want to be mindful. So for me personally, as I'm, before I enter the room, I'm taking my handful of Purell to clean my hands. As I'm cleaning my hands, I'm doing a couple breaths, uh, just in and out and just trying to forget the email and the other project. And so when I walk into the room, I'm just there for that patient. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a good way to incorporate into, into your, your workday. I would say, the, the other mindful tool, if, if, if I can add another one, is an exercise called Three Good Things. And this is an exercise that has some, some research behind it where they show that people who do this exercise every night for two weeks, the benefits sometimes can be more than an antidepressant from an emotional state. And the way that you do the exercise is that Ideally, at the end of the day, you can write down in a journal or a piece of paper three good things that have happened that day. And it doesn't have to be really big things like you got a brand new Tesla or you got a raise <laughs> at work. It could be as simple as you got to talk to a friend you haven't seen in a while. You had a really good peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But if you do this every day, it can really make uh, a difference. So this is an exercise that my patients love. Um, and a lot of them, they'll do it as a family. During the dinner table, they'll sit down. And even the young people in the family who are not patients, they really get into it too. Mark, I'm going to flip it to you. Can you tell me over the past week, three good things that have happened to you? Yeah, sure. And this was not planned ahead of time. So I'm, I'm thinking this off the fly here. Yes. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it's interesting that you bring this up and I'll, I'll circle back to my three good things here, but that was just as an example here. And I think my wife may have been already pre-listening to this podcast even before we've actually recorded it because my oldest uh, who's away at college is back home for break and he's just struggling with the whole, the negativity in the world and just the, that whole aspect of that. And 
And, you know, obviously when we have things like social media, which I know Joel is not as much on as I am by any means, which is probably a good thing and probably why mindfulness is much more probably effective for him than it would be for a lot of us is if we are still focusing on our social media lives is, you know, you just, you see negative all the time and there's not much positive. And that was one of the things I actually tweeted about actually January 1 was just, it, I think we would probably be all better off if we had something about looking at the good things that we have around us and that there are really good things that are going on, but it's really easy to get drugged back into the the negative out there. And someone referred me to one Twitter site and I will, I will just say this follow for you. Let me go back and look at it because I just want to make sure I have the right one. It's Goodable. There's a particular follow, G-O-O-D-A-B-L-E, and their tag is the world's happiest and healthiest daily news when you need it the most. And there actually is a Goodable app apparently too, which I have not downloaded yet. So anyhow, we, we've been talking about this actually personally as a family, just, you know, it, it is it is really hard sometimes to, when you see all this stuff going on around you, you hear about the politics, you hear about, you know, all the bad things going on, even our healthcare systems. I mean, I think if we all sat back and looked, we probably talk about more about the stuff we complain about that's not going well than the stuff that is. You know, going back on this last week, if you want to give me the last week as a plus, one good thing is I've had my kids home and they're all all around. And unfortunately, when I have three teenagers now and one at college, don't have the advantage of having them all at one place at once. And it was nice on Monday this week because we were all home. We all got to sit down and have dinner together, which does not happen as often. So that was definitely one good thing that was there. Second good thing, my uh, son is at a thespian conference in Kansas City right now. And my wife sent me this wonderful video of him doing a performance from a song from Oklahoma. And I just, I am blown away at the wonderful ability that my son has had developing his voice and his skill in theater and music that I, I don't know where it came from, but I am certainly, I mean, it was a great, great experience and really just warms my heart to listen to him and, and to hear him sing. And then I think a third thing in general is it was just, it was a good week at work. You know, we had uh, some extra days off. There wasn't anything that really kind of raised my ire at work this week. And I think it was just a, it was a good overall productive week at work, which not always can we say that obviously, but I, but I think those would be my three good things. That's great. Great. Thanks for sharing, Mark. I know I put you on the spot. We, we didn't right. talk about that before, but um, you know, you, you had mentioned about the whole negativity aspect of life. And that's actually one of the things that we work on within the mindfulness coaching, because our brains are really wired with this negativity bias. And so in life, we see all this negative stuff. And same with on the field, if coaches tell an athlete nine good things and one bad thing, that athlete will focus more on that one bad thing. So I try to work with them, really focusing on those positives and learning from any, quote, negatives that might be there. But uh, see, you've been mindful and you didn't even know you were mindful. Mm -hmm. And and again, yeah, I, I agree. It's one of those things that the more you think about it, obviously, the, the more you're going to practice it. And it's, it's, I think, the big cue for a lot of us, and this is, again, just with habits in general, is just recognizing when you are in one of those states where you're not feeling so good and, and well, how do I react to that? Do I let it fester or can I do something to kind of reset, so to speak? And and I don't know if I formally have practiced mindfulness in the way you would describe it, but I think I, I you know, there's several situations where obviously that, that has become very helpful for me, whatever form that may be, uh, as far as just trying to refocus. And, and I would say you bring up a good point of formal mindfulness versus informal. You know, I think as I said, the, the quote formal part of mindfulness is to help us get better at life. And I think the more you do it, 
things just kind of start changing in life. And so you don't really have to do sitting down in the morning like I do. You could be doing some of these other mindful skills too. And what I found is that even without knowing it, things have changed how I react to things. You know, there's been some times when we've traveled through airports and, you know, we've had flight cancellations where we had to leave the next day and we couldn't get somewhere eventually. And in the past, that really would have upset me a lot. And, you know, when this happened, it was, you just kind of have to go with it because there's not much you can control over it. It it definitely changes you gradually, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, and I think def definitely for me, it's a matter of recognizing those things that that are completely out of my control. I will self-admit I am a controller. Hence, by anybody who has done a podcast with me knows that I send out a very detailed outline of what we're going <laughs> to go through. But I, that's, I just need to have that for me. Um, but also realizing that, hey, you know, we'll get through a podcast and Joe will throw a, a thing on me where I have to name my three good things that I wasn't planning on doing. So <laughs> it's all good. And, you know, again, in the past, that probably would have stressed the heck out of me, but but nowadays it doesn't. So so it's a good thing. I'd love to you know, have you just talk a little bit about what resources are out there. I mean, you mentioned you've read a lot about this kind of stuff. You've been to several courses. After, if you have even some links to some of these courses that you can send me that I can put on the show notes, that would be awesome. I know you sent me a list of books and I'll, I'll make sure to put some of those in our show notes. Tell me about some of the stuff that you've read and that you found have been really meaningful books or really positive apps that you've felt that have been good benefit to you. Sure. There's a lot out there. From, from a book standpoint, there's some general mindfulness books out there. Dan Harris has written a couple books and Ryan Holiday has a couple good books out there, a variety of them. But it, when we're looking at specifically for athletes, there's a book called The Mind Gym by Gary Mack and, and David Kastevin. And then there's one I recently just read about The Mindful Runner, which is really interesting if, if you're a runner from that standpoint. There are just innumerable apps out there. Some of them you have to pay, some are free. And the one, and I've played with at least a dozen or more of them. And the ones that I, I've, I've found helpful, there is the Healthy Minds program, which comes out of Madison, Wisconsin. And the good thing about that one is it's completely free. So you don't have to pay for anything. There's some kind of tutorials. There's some practice. Again, it's called the Healthy Minds program. There's also the 10% Happier app, which also has a podcast, which I really like. And there's a nice thing about that. There's a variety of different teachers. Some of it's paid, some of it's not. And then another app that also has not just meditations, but a lot of good conversations and lessons called Waking Up too. So I think those are, are, are really helpful. UC Berkeley has a lot of free courses. They have one called The Science of Happiness, which I highly recommend. I took it a, a few years ago uh, as COVID was starting, and, and that was another good course. So, And, and then the other resource, I, I would say, just from a, a patient standpoint, too, is, you know, we have the mindfulness coaching. And, and the good thing with it being telehealth, I'm licensed in, shameless plug here, but I'm <laughs> licensed in Virginia and, and North Carolina, too. No matter where you are, you know, we, we, we can do that. So we have our website, but also, as I said before, the testimonial from the athlete. And I think that is really impactful for athletes to see. Absolutely. So we had our podcast with the Pearl of the Podcast. So Joel, what is your Pearl of the Podcast? Well, that's a great question, Mark. And I think there's so many pearls within this 
podcast, but I, I think the overarching pearl, the biggest pearl I, I'd, I'd put out there is that just keep mindfulness on your radar. Think about it. Talk about it with your athletes as another tool and think about it as possibly adding some mindfulness to your personal life. We know that if you're doing things personally, whether it's physical activity or whether it's mindfulness, that can really translate into how you're treating your patients too. Fantastic. I'd really like to thank Dr. Joel Brenner for his expertise of this topic and guiding us through how he approached his new endeavor from a clinical standpoint. We'll be sure to have all those links I mentioned in the show notes to several of those resources that were discussed today. Be sure to check out our entire podcast library at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com and give us a follow on Twitter at PedSportsPod. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and until next time, thanks for listening to the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you will join us for future episodes. Find my entire library of episodes at pediatricsportsmedicinepodcast.com. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, and this has been the Pediatric Sports Medicine Podcast.